Welcome to the Bad for Business podcast by The Founders Fund. The Bad for Business podcast uncovers the real unfiltered stories behind the success of unconventional, disruptive, and downright bad for business entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Vivian Kay. Are you interested in joining a community of bad for business women identifying founders? If you're interested in getting access to funding, mentorship, and education for your business, visit us at foundersfund.ca to become a member. Let's do this. A note to listeners. This audio is coming directly from a webinar that we hosted earlier this year. So please excuse the sound quality, but it was just too good not to share. I'm really happy to have the multi-hyphenate agency founder, Baba Rivera, on the show today. She is a Swedish Latina who is recognized as an innovator and thought leader in the realm of brand marketing, who's also worked for brands like Uber and Away, the luggage company. And now she heads up her very own brand marketing agency by Baba. That makes her bad, meaning good for business. Let's go. Good afternoon. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Good? Good. My name is Vivian Kay. I am the founder and CEO of Kinky Curlyaki. I am also your host for today's webinar, and I'm also a board member, or sorry, a board advisor for the Founders Fund. Today, we have the fabulous, wait, no, she's on this side, the fabulous Baba Rivera. She'll be joining us today, and we're going to be speaking about building startups into empires. Um, so you guys can come in, settle in, get your tea, get some water, get some snacks, because we're really going to dig into it today. How are you, Baba? Wow, that's a loaded question these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're like... In your, I've been working out of my closet now for the past three months, so I don't know how I am, but I think I'm good. <laughs> you think you're good? Well, it's a fabulous closet, if I if I can say so myself. Yeah, I mean, it, I, it could be worse. I'm 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 pretty happy to you know look at my shoes and dresses while I work. <laughs> so I'm just gonna read your bio. That's always awkward when people read bios while you're sitting right there. But so Baba Rivera is an award-winning creative marketing professional with experience working in fashion and tech in Stockholm, Berlin, and New York. Baba has experience with startups like Uber, where she launched the rideshare company in Stockholm and Away, the well-known uh, luggage company, and uh, and Away, the well-known <laughs> well-known luggage company. Baba currently runs her award-winning marketing agency by Baba from New York and Stockholm. That is just fabulous. Just, I saw your name. I was like, oh, I want to know who she is. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to connect with you, Vivian. And oh, yes. I'm super honored to be here. And thank you for, for that wonderful introduction. I, I think that's why they asked you to introduce me, because if I would introduce myself, I, I wouldn't have made it so fabulous. Well, I'm here to, you know, zhuzh things up, right? So... Okay, so Baba, tell us, like, take us back. Take us back to when you were a kid. Like, what did your life look like? Um, like, did you think that what it looks like now, is that what you thought it was going to be like when you were a kid? 
if so, like, how is it different than reality? Yeah, I mean, I have spent so much time reflecting on like my, my, my childhood lately because it is interesting growing up as a second generation immigrant. I um, I sort of call myself a Swedish Latina, which I don't think really is a thing, but I made <laughs> that up. <laughs> uh, I am. I was born and raised in Sweden, but I grew up in a very Latin family. Uh, both my mom and my dad are from Chile. They immigrated during the Pinochet dictature to Sweden for a safer place for their ki- uh, children. And I, and actually to this date, they don't speak any other language than Spanish. And I say that just to like paint the picture for how Latin my household was. <laughs> uh, so it, I grew up, you know, on, on one end, super Latin at home, but then I grew up in a very homogenous uh, society where literally everyone was not only white but blonde and blonde yeah. yeah like it was it was crazy i um i became very aware of my brown skin early on and you know i don't know i was trying to fit in as much as possible um i was trying to be as swedish as possible and 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 in sweden we have this saying of being um um just enough um like it's sort of a fraud upon to stand out too much or to have too big ambitions um so everyone should be sort of the same it's a very equal uh, society so for that reason my dreams as a kid were were very modest i dreamt of maybe one day working in an office that to me felt like the wildest dream Um, Because no, no one in my family or my family's friends had any office jobs. They, they were all, my mom was a cleaning lady. My dad used to paint uh, cars and like do car repairs. Um, wow, that's like my, that's, I can't, that's like my, no, seriously. That's like, except I'm from Ghana. So, and yeah, okay, that's crazy. Go ahead. I mean, no, but you can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't know what business was. I had never yeah. heard of the word marketing. I just knew of offices because during the summer breaks, I would go with my mom to her work because I didn't have a nanny. So I would go with her when she was cleaning offices. And I remember being so fascinated. I was like sitting in the chair and be like, and like stealing the post-it notes uh, and then like putting post-it notes in my bedroom. Uh, So I just dreamt of like one day working in an office without knowing more than that. And so fast forward to today, um, running a business and, and, and having, you know, a team and, and owning my home and having a walk-in closet in New York. Like, honestly, I, I never, I don't think my dreams even like went that far. What do you wish you knew 10 years ago about yourself, about business? Sorry, 10 years from now. Yeah, no, 10 years ago. What oh, do you wish you ago. knew 10 years ago? Mm, so I think that things are going to be fine <laughs> regard like that everything happens for a reason. I think yeah. now I live in such a sort of, um, um, surrendering, um, mindset. Um, obviously I still have really, you know, aggressive or like ambitious goals and yeah. I, I put in the work, but I don't put in the worry. I think mm-hmm. getting rid of the worry, mm-hmm. I wish I would have learned earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I used to worry a lot and, uh, I think I learned from my white privileged husband, <laughs> like how to think like a, a more privileged person without worry. And, and I, I, I sort of, he inspired me in so many ways to take more risk and, and just ask myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? I love it. Thank you, white husband. 
Yeah, they do come in handy. <laughs> so what's the best piece of advice you've ever received and who gave it to you? I mean, I think my husband. husband. Yeah, uh, yeah so I would say that too. No, but he's very, he's very inspiring. So he also comes from like, he's obviously Swedish and, and, and white and doesn't come from an immigrant family, but his family uh, are creatives. His dad was like a um, actor at, at a theater and his mom was a ceramist. So very hard to sort of make a, a big living out of these, you know, creative passions. And uh, he actually started a company straight out of, I don't know what the American equivalent is when you're 18. Uh, high school yeah straight out of high school and he always thought he would just do that for a little like for six months or whatever as a fun project and then go to college and then the company ended up being really successful it was acquired he never went to college he started another company got venture backed sold it to shopify like so he has done such an well, what inspired, company was that uh, his company was called ticktail and they were acquired by shopify a little bit over a year ago oh what do they do yeah, they did a marketplace uh, for e-commerce brands. Yeah. Oh. So very, they were very much in the same space as Shopify and, and then right. got acquired. Okay. Yeah, so he, he was always sort of an inspiration for me. And I think um, the way he sort of moved through life with so much ease mm -hmm. inspired me. And, and he was very fearless. Um, he took a lot of risks and, and was sort of okay with not everything having to be perfect. And I think that... Um, the best advice that he gave me was to sort of just start asking myself every time I find myself in these worries that what is the worst thing that can happen? And more often than not, the worst thing is that you're still where you are right now. Like it's very rare that you lose something. And uh, let's say by quitting a job, the worst thing that can happen is that you, it didn't work out to do whatever you wanted to do and you get a very similar job to the one you had before. You're still there. You know what I mean? Or if you, um, want to ask for a promotion and you don't dare to the worst thing that can happen is that they say no and you're still in the position you have you know so it's like this mentality changed everything for me right so tell us about the origins of Bye Baba and what led you to start your own agency so I was working at Away before starting Bye Baba and uh, during my time at Away and actually during my time at Uber too we always found ourselves extremely frustrated with the agency world. I felt mm. like we were always like pulling teeth to get what we actually needed. And we were oftentimes presented problems versus solutions or, oh, but that's going to cost more. It was always like an upsell or a problem for why it couldn't work. Uh, and um, the startup world is opposite to that. The startup world is move fast, be nimble, do more with less and be creative and like a, a go yes attitude. So it was sort of like a little bit daunting sometimes to work with our agency partners. And so what happened was that I ended up building almost like an in-house agency for all things brand marketing in a way. We oversaw uh, influencer marketing ambassador programs, uh, content, uh, partnerships, campaigns, design collaborations. Like we, we had a huge umbrella of things that fell under brand marketing. Um, I ended up having a team of 12, I think, towards the, the end before jumping to start my own agency. And during that time, I was getting a lot of questions from other founders of like, oh, how are you guys doing it at a way? Or like, how did you do that pop-up shop? Which agency did you work for that? Or which agency did you use for this or that? And we're like, we did it in-house. So and I realized that most companies didn't have this sort of venture backing that Away did. 
and, 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 and as such, we're not able to just be like, okay, I'm just going to go and hire a team of 12. So uh, I figured there was an opportunity in the market to, to fill that gap of a more sort of modern day or next generation, if you will, um, agency model uh, that tailored to the direct-to-consumer space. Um, and it was also a space that I was very passionate about. I, I, I love fast pace. I love rethinking things. Um, so yeah, I started by Baba with sort of that idea and it provided me with a platform to innovate and create and collaborate with a lot of really inspiring founders. Um, so when did you know you had something special with your work? Like what was there, was there a, a was there a, t- a pinpoint moment in time that you were like, yes, this is it. Um, I think it was the same moment that I also realized I, I was not meant to be an employee. <laughs> <laughs> they sort of go hand in hand. Yeah. Like I, I always say this, um, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, star talent or whatever. They're always the most difficult in your team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and a team cannot consist of only those people. Like, and no. I, I can say it because I'm one of those annoying people, mm-hmm. uh, but they are imp- important and uh, not only as founders, they're really important as leaders in companies and, and in order to sort of be able to attract that talent, you need to know how to differentiate between, um, how you motivate, um, that sort of player versus, um, a contributor. And it's very different. And I think the moment I realized that people were trying to put me in a box um, is when I realized that I probably shouldn't be an employee because I don't fit into a box. But also on the flip side, the reason I don't fit into a box is because I don't think like everyone else. And that is special. I always tell, I always, well, I'm, I'm still saying, you know, they used to try and put me in a box. And I said, would say, I'm a rhombus. I'm a parallelogram. You can't put me into a box. So I think you're a parallelogram, Baba. Your parallelogram. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, so I have a question in the Q&A. It's what advice do you have for building confidence, especially being in a group where you are a minority? Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to sound so lame that I keep referencing my husband. I'm sorry. No, don't. I'm, please I'm, don't apologize. I'm, I'm, I pretend it's another apologize? person. This is not the space to be apologizing. No. Say what, uh, say what needs to be said. Go ahead. So. Basically, an aha moment for me was in my entire childhood, I've been trying to assimilate, right? I've been trying to be as Swedish as possible, dress in a certain way and like fit in. I remember my first interview for an internship. I was like, oh, you need to wear a blazer. And I didn't have one. And I bought a super cheap one on sale at H&M. It was really ill-fitting. And I I just tried my best. And then when my husband at the time, boyfriend, or it was super early on, we were maybe just dating, I don't know. He was going on a road show to fundraise and he, you know, as he's getting ready in the morning, he's like, okay, um, wish me good luck. Like he was super nervous. And I'm like, wait, babe, are you, are you going to an investor meeting like that? <laughs> and he was wearing like a yellow cap and a t-shirt with the logo of his company and denim, like literally not a blazer, not a shirt. He has the audacity. And, and, I, and I was like, and, and he was like, oh yeah, I very intentionally dressed like this today. And I was like, wait, can you just walk me through the thought process? I'm really curious. <laughs> and, and, and his thought process, which I actually have come to really appreciate and agree with was that he's like, I didn't go to Harvard. I am not a finance dude. I don't own expensive suits. So if I'm going to try to pretend to be one of them, I'm just going to look like 
a lesser version of them. He's like, so it's better that I show up in this meeting looking as different as I possibly can, that they are just like fascinated and feel like they can't even understand me. He's like, so it's better that I show up looking like a nerd and they can be like, oh yeah, this developer guy versus being like, oh, this amateur finance guy. And I was like, that's a very interesting perspective. And I sort of love that. Uh, and I, I apply that in, in my career. I love to show up fashionable. I don't, I don't need to show up trying to look like everyone else yeah in a pencil skirt and, and pumps or whatever like I um, I've been doing fundraise calls during quarantine in my closet and and I own it like yeah this is my closet and I do love fashion <laughs> and I think sometimes it's better to just be so unapologetically yourself that no one can hold that against you versus trying to be a less version of someone else sorry I was smiling so hard <laughs> Absolutely. 100% agree with you, Baba. Woo! Love this. I'm seeing in the chat, people like, yes, yes. 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 Okay, <laughs> mic drop. I can go now. <laughs> Bye, Graham. Thank you. That's all we need. <laughs> but oh my goodness. So, okay. So you are an interesting case of someone who doesn't fit in, in the most traditional way. Um, even, you know, just the way you are and even in the way you do business. So have you always, like, I guess you already answered this question because you, you didn't always feel this way. It wasn't until, um, like you just, I guess, actually walk me through that. Like how did like, yeah. can you pinpoint that moment? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was an evolution. Like, it, yeah. it didn't, you know, obviously happened overnight. I think initially I, I thought, you know, to, also what what sort of is important to keep in mind here is I grew up in a small town and I think the advice that I'm giving here and now maybe applies more to like urban cities versus like um, the tiniest village uh, right. where there just aren't enough people to to see beyond the norm right. uh, and and in my small town I, I think in many ways it, it was serving me better to try to just blend in and and, and I think it's sad and I think it's unfair uh, but I do also recognize that it probably did help me at that time. Um, however, when I started to step into the career and you're sort of competing with a lot of people who have better experiences or better schools or better last names or whatever it is that, you know, triggers your imposter syndrome, I think that's when you need to find what you can lean into. Right. And I think trying to fit a mold that was never created for you it's just never going to make you a winner. And you're going to be miserable. And you're going to hate it. Like, so I, I think it was when I, with that realization that I was like, okay, I am never going to fit that mold. So what is a mold that I can create that will fit me perfectly and where no one else fit this mold. Um, and that's a way to stand out. And, and in many ways that's helped me so much in my career, standing out in interviews or, making an impression that after a, a conference of all the people that went up to someone, they remembered me or, you know, so I think daring to be unconventional is, is really powerful because guess what? Most people are trying to be just like everyone else. Well, there you have it. No one can be you. So you might as well be the best at you. Yeah. So well put. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well give it off. They don't like it. They can go kick rocks and flip flop. <laughs> So you had some incredibly unique campaigns and activations for your clients. What is one that, that stood out to you that you're, you're just like, I wish I could do it again and again and again and again. 
Oh, I mean, so many, but I, I probably have to say when we did Glossier's uh, launch in Scandinavia, mm. <clears throat> that was a really proud moment. So basically they had been, um, you know, going the traditional route uh, when a brand wants to launch in Scandinavia, there is sort of like the big agency that everyone goes to. They went to them, you know, I think they even signed with them, honestly. And, um, and then as they're like, going through the planning process they're feeling like oh they're not really getting us um so then they decided to like refocus on the that agency doing more like the traditional um, press outreach and um, product seeding and whatever and then they reached out to us and and we're like hey we know you don't really even have an office in sweden yet but you know, I, we know you are Swedish and you have a big community there and we're launching there and we're trying to, you know, plan this event and we feel like it's been hard for us to find someone in Scandinavia that truly understands the Glossier brand um, because the whole direct-to-consumer space is super sort of foreign in, in Europe uh, still. Um, and this was uh, a couple of years ago. And, and, and I was like, oh my God, this is like a dream project. Like I, I just started this tiny agency and I'm getting an inbound from Glossier. Are you kidding me? Like sign me up. Uh, and then they sort of gave us the brief and the budget. And, um, and, and we, I had this idea that I wanted to do, they love to sort of play in the culture where they, where they activate. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to do like a Swedish midsummer experience but like the glossier way so I um, we, we found this castle on an island and, and obviously all of this was way out of budget like a, a <laughs> castle an island a boat like who am I kidding they also wanted 150 people and they wanted to feed everyone and whatnot and I just felt so much for this idea that I was like okay what are some smart ways that we can make this work within the budget and then we just pulled some strings you know some because it's glossier people wanted to work with them and then we we pulled some community favors and presented them with this pitch and they were blown away and they're like but can you really pull this off within this budget and we were like yep and they're like okay but and we're like no literally like here is like the breakdown of budget like this is where we're saving and this is where like we need you to you know bring the the magic and uh, it ended up just being such a beautiful event and i think besides it being beautiful what it really was was that it touched people um in sweden every event that i have ever been to in pr or influencer world it's the widest event you will ever encounter everyone looks the same and it's always the same list of people and this happens a lot in like smaller um circles um so when we presented this guest list they were like these are names that no agency have ever even presented to us uh, and we had obviously diversity at its core and the guests themselves when they arrived they were like like i had black women being like wait there, there are other black women here black women. <laughs> They're like, this is the first time that I'm a fashion event or a beauty event and I am not the only black girl. And, and it just a lot of friendships were created that night. Um, someone got a job from someone. Like, it was like, became this like networking thing. And it was all sort of thanks to Glossier and, and people, you know, wrote the most beautiful reviews and, and sort of still thank Glossier for that sort of experience of feeling for the first time, not like an alien you in the country that they live in. I felt seen. Thank you for yeah. that. Thank you. That's, <laughs> yeah, thank you. That was beautiful. This literally, I had tears in my eyes because I know that feeling. I yeah, know I mean, that feeling of of feeling seen 
and be and like you belong. No, and that was huge. And I think, I mean, obviously we did a great job for sure, but it also goes to say a lot about working with the right brands. I think that's when we were like, we need to work with the brands that want us for the things that we're good at. We're good at diversity. We're good at community. And we want brands to work with, we want to work with brands who value that as much as we do. And Glossier is one of them. And not not because it's trending. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Okay. So you've talked about, you've talked before about the importance of brands creating experiences, especially in the date, in the age of digital overwhelm, um, especially right now. Um, What have you seen recently that's impressed you, if anything? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to be super impressed during, you know, these times. Uh, But what I will say is that I found it nice with brands that have acted real time. Um, And I think, um, you know, I I saw Outdoor Voices was doing this uh, like dance parties now in partnership with ACLU for the LGBT community. Um, and, And I thought that was really cool how they're like, okay, we're still like, we, we still are not safe to go to a gym. So let's, you know, dance virtually and still tap into like uh, pride, but the pride parade is not happening anymore. So let's bring it to the homes. Like I, I, I'm impressed with brands being able to, to pivot um, original ideas into more timely relevant uh, executions. Um, I think nothing is worse than brands who stick to their plan and calendar, regardless of what's happening in the world. We definitely saw that. (laughs) We saw that recently with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, brands who were still sort of running their paid ads for buying flip-flops or whatever, like, nope, not the right time. Uh, So I'm I'm generally, I've been impressed with brands that have been able to act quickly. Um, I think Glossier also did a good pledge where beyond donating money to organizations, they did that fund for black women running beauty businesses, which is technically competition, you know, but it just goes to show that they really care and they're using their values to inform their activations. And that's impactful because most brands have sort of done nothing and then panicked and donated. Yeah. That's a very passive um, action. Yeah, because they were afraid of being canceled or being called out. And it's like, (sighs) anyways. So what's the one thing you think companies should be focusing on right now that they're not doing? I think it's become evident first with COVID and then with Black Lives Matter uh, that brands can't just expect to have a voice to sell things and there sort of needs to be an underlying value of some sort beyond the product Um, and I think using their platforms uh, to showcase what they stand for um, is super important right now and going back to the Glossier example and I saw that Founders Fund dropped it in the chat uh, the link to it they have done an amazing job there they're like okay we we you know care about this topic where we're, we're donating, but we're also encouraging black female founders to apply to get a grant from us. Um, so I, I think more brands can follow suit and it doesn't need to include, it doesn't need to entail big money. Like obviously Glossier is a huge company. They, they can afford, what was it? $500,000. Um, but it can take shape and form in other ways, host meaningful conversations or uh, host a, a campaign that has a message beyond the product. So, you know, try to use your platform to, to say something. 
I always tell people you can't underestimate the power of helping just even one person, just helping and empowering one person, two people, three people, whatever. You don't need to, it doesn't need to be a big grand gesture. Like, Oh, let me donate $500,000. If you just amplify one person's voice that could change the trajectory of, of their career, of their business, of whatever it is that they're doing. So yeah, that's, that's good on Glossier. I would like to point out that grant is only for U.S. companies. So sorry. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, so Actually, I, think I already tried. <laughs> no, it's only U.S., right? It's only U.S., yeah. yeah. It's a, there's a lot of these. As Facebook has one, too, where it's supporting Black-owned businesses, but a lot of it's U.S.-based, and it's understandable. Um, but there are Black people outside of the U.S., that are experiencing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so can you give three pieces of advice, uh, excuse me, can you give three pieces of advice to small businesses who want to level up their marketing game? Um, three pieces of advice, or what do we say? Yeah, I think, so I think it starts with the team. And obviously that's a sensitive topic now with a lot of businesses maybe not being in a position to hire, but I think once that becomes available, really, really think through, do you have a diverse team internally that can take you to the next level? Because I do believe that the future holds diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, start with the team. Uh, two, I think figuring out what your unfair advantage in the market is. Far too often, we, we see, saw this a lot at the agency, uh, clients will come to us and they had imposter syndrome from the bigger players. And they're like, oh, but in order for us to compete, we need to do like they are doing. So we need to try to do this and that. The only thing that happens is that you become the minion version of the competitor if you're trying to go in their footsteps, but with less resources. So in, instead, reframe for yourself and ask yourself, what is something that they can't do because of their size, but that we can because we're small. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that is very empowering because then you can think of all of these things. It's really hard for L'Oreal to authentically speak to a minority group, but you can do that, Vivian. You know, so where are sort of your unfair advantages where you can be the leader and focus on that? That's perfect. That's perfect. So, <sighs> such a refreshing conversation. So um, let's talk about fear and failures. Let's talk about, um, you know, so we, you know, as entrepreneurs, we value the journey um, and the screw up. So as, as perfect as you are in your own way, I would love to hear about some things that maybe didn't work out. Maybe you didn't have that beautiful, um, that beautiful glossier (laughs) activation. Maybe you had that one that was like, okay, we're not doing that again. Tell me about that. Honestly, so many. And the way my mind works is that I like feel it very intensely when it happens and then I let it go. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's like, I, I don't carry it over. And and sometimes when people ask me like, what is a regret you have? I'm like, I have no regrets because I don't even remember them. Uh, And I think that's pretty good for your sanity to just like, you know, say positive, (laughs) on to the next. But what I will say on the agency side, I mean, man, have we learned a lot of things? Um, in the beginning, I was desperate. I, I started this company without any savings. I didn't even have money to buy a computer. So I stole my husband's like extra laptop that he had for like travels. Um, and uh, I, it wasn't until like two months ago that I actually finally bought my own one. <laughs> I was like, it's been three years in business. I think I can do it now. 
Um, but so I just say that to paint the picture that I was in a very vulnerable position and I was taking a leap of faith without much, much cushion. Mm. Um, and as a result, I needed all the business I could get. And sometimes I may be forced on uh, clients that I should have sensed were red flags earlier on. Um, And I think once you start working with things that are not a fit or that are too small for you, it attracts more small things. That's the worst part about it. it. It doesn't come isolated. So this project that sucks is gonna attract other projects that suck. And, and that's problematic. So sometimes it's sort of the balance of, okay, you obviously need to be able to have food on the table and, and hopefully pay your rent. But what are sort of the strategic maybe decisions that you can take today that will get you to where you need to be one day? Um, and, and sometimes that means taking a huge cut on, on payment on something or uh, accepting terms you otherwise wouldn't, but it's an, a great exposure opportunity. Or, But as long as you know why you're doing it and you're not just selling yourself short. Um, so with the Glossier example, I just wanted to create the best freaking experience. So our fee, like what was left was like not significant. But A, the team had a blast. They had the best time ever, so it was great for team morale. If anything, I could have treated, wrote that off as like employee morale. And it became the best case study for us. After that, we started getting inbounds from Ritual, from Outdoor Voices, from other big direct-to-consumer brands. Um, so remind yourself that what you put out there is what you're going to get back. Um, and, and being mindful with where you want to put your energy because you attract more of that energy back. Yeah. I'm a big believer in what you put out, like the energy you would, the vibe that you put out is the vibe that you'll get back. So definitely that's, that's perfect. I have one more really good question. I want to be respectful of your time, but this is a really good question. Carla's asking, how can a white owned biz like mine recruit diverse models, patrons, team members without making anyone feel like it's a token effort? Yeah. Very good question. Um, I think it starts with bringing diversity into maybe the entire project and not just in front of the camera. Um, It's hard when someone sort of like suddenly wants to do it once and only on the visible front and not in the back end. So I think if you're hiring for um, a diverse cast uh, in front of the camera, what can you do behind the camera? Can you work with a a black stylist or a hair and makeup artist or a Latina f- photographer or, you know, um, and it doesn't need to be that everyone has to be from, you know, minority groups. Like that's also not what, where we're going for here. I think just making sure that you're keeping that in mind in, in every step of the way. Um, another idea that I have had uh, is to, we actually did this for a client. We had a client who was doing uh, clothes for petite women. So sort of like shorter and and, and, and tinier women and a sort of common um, problem amongst that community is that they never felt represented in in, in media Um, because it's always tall women and so forth and when they go to clothing stores even extra small is too big for them so what we did was that we did an open model costing day where we said that we're looking for for the future faces of petite models uh, and uh, people were able to nominate their friends and apply. Uh, and it became this sort of like community exercise of bringing to life diversity 
in the fashion industry. Um, so you can you can engage your community too, and right. that can help you. So Baba, tell us, tell me, what is your next big project? My next big project. Okay, so this is not like announced anywhere. Uh, so spilling a little bit of beans here, but I am actually um, in the process of launching a new company and I am beyond stoked. Um, it's coming this fall. It has um, a big celebration towards the Latinx community. Uh, doesn't mean you have to be Latin to appreciate it, but it will sort of be um, a moment to, to celebrate a very underserved and overlooked demographic. Absolutely, absolutely. Baba, thank you ever, ever so much. You have been an absolute pleasure to speak with. Um, and, you know, in the chat, they're like, yes, girl, we, we love you that you have a marriage proposal from Annie. Um. <laughs> Annie, let's get married. Tell me more. So I thank you very much. I thank you guys for joining us. And I thank you, Baba, for uh, the generous, um, you know, for donating, not donating, sorry, for, for the time that you spent with us today. Um, and I hope I, I'm going to look out for you with the, with the, with the. Yeah, we need to talk more. I feel like I can, I can learn from you here. Yes, absolutely. So thank you very much, guys. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. Bye. Thank you. Bye. This has been another episode of your favorite unconventional and unfiltered business podcast, Bad for Business. We'll see you again next week where we will be finding out the real stories behind the success of another Bad for Business entrepreneur. Be sure to check out the Founders Fund community at foundersfund.ca.